0: Um, but this morning, uh, we have our text ready for you, uh, Acts 13, and then 1 Samuel 24. We're going to be referring to uh, different uh, 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 translations and different verses as we go throughout uh, to un- unpack the message. And, uh, but before I do anything else, can we pray one more time? Amen. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just thank you for uh, this time of worship, and we thank you for your holy word. Uh, We believe, God, that uh, you orchestrate divine appointments and, uh, Lord, that you speak to your people in a very personal way. Now, this morning, out of the 70 or 80 people that are here, uh, Lord, uh, everyone has a different story. Everyone is in a different season. But what I love about you, Jesus, is that when you meet with us, you meet with us in a personal way. You speak to us right in the season that we're in. And so as we share the word this morning, I believe that you're going to do that. I believe that as we unpack the scripture that God, for some folks, they've uh, maybe read the certain scripture before, but Lord, you're going to open their understanding. You're going to open their heart. You're going to speak to them right where they find themselves this morning. And so I pray, Lord, that, that Lord, you would hide me behind the cross and that, Lord, uh, you would be the one that is seen and you would be the one that is glorified. And so Lord, speak to us, talk to your people, deliver us, save us, encourage us, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, the Bible is chock full of ordinary and perfect people, people who you and I would probably not have chosen to represent a holy and a righteous God. Like, we, we know from the Bible that Noah drank until he passed out. Abraham actually lied about his marriage, and then he slept with his maid. Sarah laughed. She laughed at God's promises. Jacob was a total con man. Leah was plain, and some would say even ugly. Moses was a murderer. And Miriam, she was a gossip. Story after story is is marked by scandal, stumble, and scheming. In fact, many of their antics and attitudes would make you think that, that we were talking about the Saturday night crowd at the county jail instead of the Sunday morning crowd at church. So what few angelic halos you might think that people in the Bible wore, there are many among them that could probably use a little bit of straightening and maybe even some polishing, King David was no exception. The truth is David was far from perfect and the Bible, it makes absolutely no attempts to cover up his flaws. And yet despite them, God himself declares in our first text, let's go there, Acts 13, that I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own, what? Uh-huh. One more time. Another translation says that David was the kind of man that God wanted and that he would do all that God had wanted him to do. That's quite the statement. I mean, God looked at the heart of King David and saw a heart in pursuit of his own. And so regardless of his flaws and regardless of his failures, God saw more in David than anyone else could see. On the surface, aren't you glad that God looks past your surface? Uh, Listen, I don't know about you, but I would love to be remembered as a man after God's own heart. The question is, what can we learn about David's heart? How can we apply that to our own lives as we pursue Jesus today? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we learned that uh, the prophet Samuel anointed young David as the soon-to-be king of Israel. and, and we, we talked about David having a hard-working heart. We said that he had a humble heart, and we even said that David had a, a hallelujah-filled heart. Last week, many of you know the story, as David faced the giant Goliath, we saw in him a committed heart, a confident heart, and a courageous heart that really, it lined up with God's heart. And so this morning, we're going to pick up David's story in the aftermath of that great triumph, right? That story that many of us know, David and Goliath. See, David, he, he had just accomplished a great thing. I I mean, it was nothing short of a miracle that his great victory over a giant was a spotlight of great hope for the nation. And think about it, a a young man, not, not even 20 years old, who had never worn a uniform for the army of Israel. He had never once suited up for battle. He had never once carried a sword. He had just run on into the battlefield, faced a giant of a man, and killed him Not with a machine gun, not with a bazooka, not with some uh, sort of explosive device, but he killed the giant with a sling and a stone. (laughs) As a result, we, we know from scripture that David gained instant popularity. In fact, he actually became a national hero and people began to sing his praises. Of course, King Saul, he he made good on his promise to richly reward the man that killed Goliath. And so we know that David became part of the the king's court and he became an overnight celebrity all at the same time. I don't know about you, but I, I know very few people that could handle all of that in stride. But David did. It didn't get to his head. It didn't faze him. See, David knew how to live with success without having him affected. And it's it's rare that you can find a person that can do that without being overcome with pride. And Oh, by the way, when I say that people were singing David's praises, I mean they were literally singing his praises. The Bible actually says in 1 Samuel 18, in verse 6 and 7, That when the victorious Israeli army was returning home after David had killed a Philistine, women from all over the towns of Israel came to meet King Saul and they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and with cymbals. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands. And David... His tens of thousands. I, listen, I'm not familiar with whatever the melody was to that song, but I'm pretty sure that the lyrics probably struck a chord with King Saul, and I'm thinking it wasn't good. See, King Saul, he may have been kind of like the big man on campus, but he was one very small man when it came to his character. He, in fact, he, he couldn't bear to watch someone so young in age and in experience rise above him, both in bravery and in popularity. In fact, the Bible says in verse eight that Saul became very angry and kept a jealous eye on David. You, have you ever known someone to be jealous of you and all that that carries with it? Some of you, you know what I'm talking about, but Saul kept a jealous eye On David. And meanwhile, Saul's sanity seems to be slipping away as well, like fits of rage and restlessness became the norm. The Bible tells us that he was being disturbed or disrupted by an evil spirit. And so, before long, David becomes the object of Saul's rage and resentment. And one day, the Bible actually says that David played the harp in an attempt to soothe King Saul and his fractured mind, and the king suddenly grabbed a spear nearby and he threw it at David. Thankfully, David, he, he dove out of the way, leaving the spear stuck in the wall, but David couldn't understand why the king hated him so fiercely and treated him so badly. In fact, when King Saul wasn't trying to trick or convince David into marrying one of his daughters, and if you've read the scripture, you know about the switch and bait that he did, that he would say, you can marry my daughter such and such, and he would show up, and, and, and the king would deliver another daughter. That's got to mess with your head a little bit. It was just one, one of those things. He, he, when he wasn't doing that, he was sending David out into battle, hoping that he would be killed. Saul recognized before long that the Lord was with David. And so while he was afraid of David, really that was at the root of of much of what he was doing and acting out is he was afraid of David. His attempts to harm David increased. And so eventually David was forced to flee and he became a fugitive in the wilderness of Judea. But he wasn't alone. See, David's popularity and his prowess as a warrior drew quite a following among the people like Robin Hood and his merry men, uh, and his fo- him and his followers. They lived in the wilderness, always on the run from King Saul. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Samuel twenty three fourteen, Saul sought him every day for months, David remained in hiding and on the run, but eventually the Bible says that David and his men took refuge among the rocks and caves in En-Gedi. Now listen, En Gedi was a a perfect hideout for David. It was an oasis in in a desert wilderness where there were fresh water springs and and waterfalls and lush vegetation and countless caves in the rocky cliffs high above the Dead Sea. And Gedi provided protection and water and a natural outlook spot where he could see for miles and miles around to guard against the enemy's approach. These caves were ideal like camouflage. Somehow Saul got word about David's location. And so he actually chose 3,000 elite troops from Israel and they went to Engedi in search of David and his men. This is where we pick up the story that reveals further the heart of David. The story is found in your second text, in our second text this morning, 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24, after Saul and his men had spent the better of a day scouring the rocks and cliffs unsuccessfully, he decided to head back home. But first he had to make a pit stop. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 24, verses three and four, that at the place where the road passes, some sheepfold, Saul went into a cave to, number two, relieve himself. As it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Now, listen, it's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with what you wish. I love how real the Bible is. I I love this very holy book that God has given us is full of real people and real events. And listen, this unique story is living proof like you can't make this stuff up. In the midst of his mad dash for revenge, King Saul must answer the call of nature. And listen, I could tell some of you are uncomfortable. You're like, Pastor, you're spending way too much time on this verse. And it's not comfortable to talk about number two in church. And well, well, it's the Bible. We're going to talk about the Bible. And I love the way the King James Version translates this verse. See, it just wasn't proper to talk about such things in those days. And so they used a very interesting phrase, Saul went in to cover his feet. Saul went in to cover his feet. Now I'm giving you a visual. And so you might think about that one moment. uh, Saul finds himself crouching in in privacy, in the privacy of a cave and not just any cave. He literally, he walks right into the mouth of the cave where David and his men were hiding. Talk about being vulnerable. It was bad enough for the king to be seen at that moment trying to relieve himself, but to be in the very presence of the enemy that you are hunting is just crazy. With his eyes dulled from the desert sun, Saul doesn't see David or his men, but they sure see him. In fact, their their eyes, they widen, their minds race, and and their hands reach for their daggers. See, one thrust of the blade will bring Saul's tyranny, and they're running to an absolute end. And so one of David's men whispers, bright idea, hey, here's your opportunity. Another one tries to make it sound spiritual. This has got to be a God thing, David. Didn't God say he would put your enemy in your hand? Here's your chance. Listen, these men were trained to fight. Here was their enemy at their most vulnerable moment. I mean, he's right there. Go get him, David. This is it. And so quiet as a cat, David makes his move. Saul, right there. Taking care of business, looking out the cave, David edges ever so quietly along the the edges of the wall behind him. He unsheathes his knife. Then the Bible says in verse four, go there, David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe might say, well, what's the significance? Like, what is a, listen, David then creeps back into the recesses of the cave, and David's men cannot believe what their leader has just done. Neither can David, but for opposite reasons. See, they think David has done too little, and David thinks he has done too much. The Bible says in verse 5, afterward David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. Another translation says that David's conscience began to bother him. Ever done something that you're not proud of and all of a sudden your conscience kicks in and it's oh man. Whether it's something that you did or something you said, ever been in that place where you want to take it back? David was feeling like that. See, David, he scolded himself and he scolded his men in verse 6. And in the message Bible, David says, God forbid that I should have done this to my master, God's anointed, that I should so much as raise a finger against him. He's God's anointed. But he just threw a, a spear at him and he was chasing him, trying to kill him. He's God's anointed. And so David, he, he held his men in check and he wouldn't let them pounce on Saul. And moments later, Saul exits the cave and David soon follows. And after getting Saul's attention, David shouts up from his mouth out of the cave. And in verses 10 and 11 says, my men wanted to kill you, but I wouldn't do it. Look at this piece that I have cut from your robe. I could have killed you. But I didn't. Look at the evidence. I'm not against you. I'm no rebel. I haven't sinned against you. And yet you are hunting me down to have me killed. Saul looks up. He, stunned, he, he wonders aloud, who else in the world would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power. May the Lord reward you well for this kindness that you have shown me today. Saul then leaves in peace and David is free, if only for a while. And so once again, we ask, what does this story, or our text this morning, what does it teach us? about the heart of David and this is what I want to leave you with today. There are three three things that it reveals about the heart of David and the first thing that it reveals is that David had a focused heart. Would you say focused with me this morning? One more time nice and loud. One more time See, David faced Saul the same way he faced Goliath, by focusing on God. And when the soldiers in the cave urged David to kill Saul, look who occupied David's thoughts in verse 6. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord and my King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. Did you notice? It's right there. Three times in one verse, David mentions the Lord. The Lord forbid. The Lord's anointed. The Lord himself, David, displays what I would call a God-saturated mind. The Lord himself dominates his thoughts, and he wants the Lord to always dominate his behavior. That should be our prayer because a lot of times we do life and we do church and we do circumstances of life and we can appear very holy and all together and at the moment we can say all of the right things but when you put us in the pressure cooker when you send some resistance our way when we face things in life that are out of our control how we react and our behavior does not line up with what we say our heart is. Same was true on the battlefield for David when he faced Goliath. See, the soldiers, when he faced Goliath, they mentioned, they say nothing about God. The brothers, David's brothers, they never spoke the name of God. King Saul never mentions the name of the Lord and Goliath only uses the name of the Lord as a cuss word. But David, but David, He takes one step on the stage and he raises the subject of the living God, the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. No one else even discusses God, but David discusses no one else but God. How might your attitudes and your actions change if God became your primary focus? if you intentionally focused on the living God. See, when we lose our focus on God, we tend to focus on ourselves, which makes us prone to selfish and and stupid decisions and choices. And so how do you and I develop a a God-focused heart like David had? I think the first step in developing that heart is to develop a habit of constant prayer. When you encounter a problem, pray about it. When someone tries your patience, pray about it. When peers pressure you to make a, a, some kind of a wrong choice, pray for them and for yourself, but pray. Listen, when, when we make prayer, that first task in the morning and that last task in the evening, we are fully covered to make God-honoring choices. Of course, on the other side of the coin is, is getting into the word of God. Anybody love the Bible. See, the word of God is God speaking to us. Some people say, well, pastor, God never speaks. Have you been in the word? Because if you've been in the word, God is speaking. I mean, make sure to to read even a small portion of God's word every single day, not just to check it off like on a a, a list of Christian duties, but in order to to hear God's voice. See, the more we spend time with God, speaking to him and listening to him, the the more he will dominate our thoughts. David focused his heart on God, and so can't we. So he had a focused heart. But he also had a faithful heart. Three times in this chapter, David refers to Saul as the Lord's anointed. Despite Saul's disobedience to God and his roller coaster sanity, Saul remained the rightful king of Israel. In fact, as David exited the cave, he called out to Saul in verse 8 and he calls him, My Lord the King. And when Saul looked back, guess what David did? David fell on his knees and bowed down in reverence. Again, we kind of isolate scripture sometimes, but you've got to think of the full context. This was the same king. Saul who tried to have him killed. This was the same King Saul who threw a spear at him trying to take him out. And yet David recognizes that he is still Lord and King. I I, I read it, it blows my mind See, whether Saul deserved it or not, David remained loyal to the crown. I mean, I'm sure David was tempted. In fact, I'm convinced he was tempted uh, to give it. See, when David unsheathed his knife, I don't think David planned on cutting Saul's robe. More like his throat. As he came near to the king, he came to his senses and just decided to cut off a piece of the robe instead of stabbing Saul in the back. Despite pressures from his peers, David wouldn't betray the king. I mean, Saul may have been faithless, but David proved to be faithful. Listen, faithless, faithfulness isn't exactly a widespread virtue these days. According to national research, one in five men and one in ten women have admitted to cheating on their spouse at some point during their marriage. Hallmark, believe it or not, actually once sold a card that says, I can't promise you forever, but I can just promise you today that's about a, as deep a commitment as some people are willing to make but faithfulness being, means being dependable trustworthy and firm and keeping promises or carrying out responsibilities and a faithful person keeps their vows and honors their commitments when it's convenient and when it's not that's the kind of person David was In this way, David imitated the heart of God. Listen, the Bible reminds us in 2 Timothy that even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And so God is dependable, God is trustworthy, God is loyal and resolute, constant, reliable. God is true to his word always and forever. See, you and I will face many temptations in life. It may be the temptation of being disobedient to a parent, uh, the temptation to break the law, the temptation to cheat on a spouse or to betray a friendship. And in those moments, our faithfulness is tested. But a heart in pursuit of God is a focused heart and it's a faithful heart. And finally, David, he had a forgiving heart, a forgiving heart. Listen, the desire to get even is part of the human psyche. Revenge and retaliation are very natural instincts for us. I wish I could be in your car when you have been cut off or when someone has done something to you that you were not prepared for. On that day, you were not spiritual. On that day, your flesh dominated. Well, what about you, Pastor Fred? Yes, you've heard me say before, I'm so glad someone wasn't in the car with me. I would have been embarrassed. You? You? Absolutely, I fail, I'm not perfect. I need your prayers, I need God's forgiveness. I need God's grace revenge and retaliation very natural to us but David demonstrates that there's a better way from the mouth of the cave David declared may the Lord decide between you and me may the Lord take revenge on you for what you did to me however I will not lay a hand on you the Lord must judge he will decide between you and me we want to take revenge but it's not ours to take Rather than exacting revenge, David, he chose to forgive and put matters in God's hands. See, we all have a Saul in our lives. Someone who has wronged you. Someone who hurt you. Someone who lied to you. Someone who betrayed you. Some of you can picture your Saul right now. And some of you may have more than one. For a select few, forgiveness comes easy. They never harbor a grudge and, and recite their hurts ever again. Others of us, most of us, find it hard to forgive our souls. If that soul were to seek shade in our cave or lie down at our feet, would you do what David did? Could you forgive a liar? A cheater, the abuser, the addict, the thief, the gossiper, the person who hurt you. See, failure to forgive could choose to be fatal. Someone once said that holding on to bitterness, listen, holding on to bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. The Bible says that resentment kills a fool. See, vengeance, it fixates your attention at life's ugliest moments, score settling freezes your stare at cruel moments and events in your past. Is that really where you want to hang out? Is that really where you want to fix your gaze? The Bible reminds us that it's foolish to harbor a grudge and listen, the, the problem with an eye for an eye is that everybody ends up blind. Listen, forgiveness isn't foolishness, though. Forgi- forgiveness doesn't mean ignoring or excusing the crime or the hurt. It doesn't mean you have to be BFFs once again. See, David didn't gloss over or sidestep Saul's sin. He addressed it directly. He didn't avoid the issue but he did end up avoiding Saul. The Bible says, then Saul went home and David and his men went to the fortified camp. You might have to do the same, but give grace And if need be, keep your distance. See, forgiveness at its core is letting go of your desire to punish the other person and letting God take care of it. God occupies the only seat on heaven's supreme courts. He wears the robe. He refuses to share the gavel. Only God dispenses perfect justice. Worship team, come, please. In fact, taking revenge, it removes God from the equation and vengeance is God's job. And so leave your enemies in his hands, uh, those that hurt you in his hands. And besides, at the end of the day, we give forgiveness because we've been given forgiveness. And like Saul had been freely given forgiveness, we like David can freely give it. Would you stand to your feet? Listen, we all have souls in our life. It might be an employer who promised you something and didn't come through. It might be a spouse who walked away when you needed him or her the most. It might be a mom or a dad that failed you. It could be a friend you entrusted with some, you entrusted with some very intimate information and the friend not only turned against you and revealed it, but is now turned around and is is telling lies about you and you live in a pool of grief and mistreatment. You've been wronged and if you were honest, Maybe you've been waiting for a moment to get even. See, David, he had this opportunity, but he made a better choice. And that choice, listen, that choice made in a dark cave in the rocks of Engedi revealed a God focused, faithful, and a forgiving heart. What kind of heart do you have this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed, hallelujah. Jesus, this has been a divine appointment this morning. I truly believe that every time we gather to worship and to take in the word of God, that God lines up appointments, that God says, today is your day. You've been putting this off. You've been carrying this burden. You've been allowing the bitterness to eat at you. Things are taking place in your life that I never assigned. Things that I never desired for you. You have made choices along the way and or are making choices today. But today is the day of your freedom. Today is the day of your your victory. Today is the day of your breakthrough. And so God says, how is your heart? What is the condition of your heart right now? He wants to deal with you. He wants to touch you. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. Uh, You can either, in your seats, make an altar there. But I'm going to open the altar. Uh, If you need us to pray for you, I would gladly pray with you. If you just want to find a quiet corner somewhere to do business with God, and really, you need to do business with God sooner than later, you are not guaranteed tomorrow. And so today is the day of your freedom. Today is the day of your deliverance. Today is the day that you stop carrying that garbage that has you bound today is your day make an altar at your seat or take a step of faith and come to this altar area would love to pray with you as we close in worship this morning but whatever you do deal with the condition of your heart today right now. Hallelujah.